about design thinking, but you don't know where to start, then you're in the right space. Welcome to A Beginner's Guide to Design Thinking, an A to Z, a year-long series of bite-sized, real-life examples, do's and don'ts, tried and tested go-to techniques to help get you started. I'm Lucy Patterson, a workshop facilitator, business strategist and trainer who uses design thinking to help organisations solve problems and make better business decisions. And I'm Tracy Sharp, a former design engineer and director turned mentor and coach that uses design thinking principles to help others design a new life with purpose. We're two Northern lasses with a passion for design thinking for your business, your projects and for your life. And today is brought to you by the letter Z and it's for Zeitgeist. And we definitely had to get very creative towards the end of the alphabet, didn't we? But in this episode, we want to explore if design thinking is just the tool of the moment or has it proven itself to be, has it proven itself to remain at the forefront of innovation? What are the trends at the moment for design thinking and how it is used? So I think off the bat, um, I need to call out that in my role as um, senior design manager at the Royal College of Art, um, there is a massive learning curve for most people about the real meaning of design and design thinking. And if I'm really honest, I'm still learning a lot about what that can really mean as well. But the common misconception is that design is purely about how something looks or appears, as opposed to why something exists in the first place. And it's actually part of my job to help educate people in this and its importance, and and not just in this podcast, but it's my day-to-day job as well. So what do you see in your experience of businesses getting involved with design thinking from the outset, Lucy? First of all, I think I need to reiterate your first point. And I want to share the famous quote from Steve Jobs, who actually says that design is not just what it looks and feels like, but design is also how it works. And I think for me that good design is actually a lot less obvious than bad design, simply because we're wired to notice when something doesn't work well. Whereas when something works well, we don't register because we simply expect it to. And I think it's the same in business. So when a service is good and smooth and easy and transactional and it works, we don't say anything because we don't see it as anything out of the ordinary. But when a service is a bit clunky or, you know, the confirmation of sale um, you're waiting through doesn't doesn't land in your inbox in 30 seconds after you've made the uh, the actual purchase, then we notice it and we grumble. And we kind of, we expect an advanced level of design, even from the most basic service. So remember, we're talking about design as being something, as being how something functions as well as how it looks. So you might have just paid pennies for something, but you still expect the same service as if you paid pounds. So that whole sort of champagne lifestyle, you know, lemonade budget, anyone? <laughs> uh, I've never heard this expression, but I totally love it. <laughs> I can't. I just can't believe you've never heard that before. No, I haven't heard it. <laughs> but for me, um, the point's simple, really. Um, the business owners I engage with who are getting involved in design thinking, who are using what is essentially a really simple, scientifically-backed set of tools and who are implementing the processes and the mindset into their businesses are the ones who are seeing the best results. They're the ones providing that champagne service, even though they or their customers may only have a lemonade budget. I mean, that said, they don't always know or realise they're using design thinking. So when they come to me, they may have heard about, you know, they may have heard me talk about it. They may have listened to the podcast. They may have read something on the Flourish Unlimited website. But generally, they come to me because they're ready to try something different to the traditional business growth advice that's out there. 
design thinking allows them to be creative and think differently and try new things without feeling as though they're doing something wrong. So sure, I mean, they're, you know, they're going to learn about design thinking as they progress through their time with me. But for the majority, they just know that what we do together works. They don't really care about much beyond that. And I, I mean, to be fair, it's it's still a very underutilized tool for service-based businesses, I think. And there's not a lot of info out there bar the Michael Lurie Wiley Design Thinking series. I mean, obviously, you know, my new book, Beginner's Guide to Design Thinking, will change all that when it hits bookshelves next year. Shameless plug, sorry, not sorry. Um, very exciting. <laughs> long way off yet (laughs) Um, but until then um, clients tend to have a bit of a google struggle to find out that you know there's not actually much written from their perspective that they can relate to directly get lost in a a sea of academic or scientific tech-based info and it it kind of feels proprietary you know like it's to the higher echelons of unicorn startups and international giants such as apple or microsoft and that can actually be quite alienating I mean, I don't know what what are you seeing from 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 your perspective, from where you stand. So what what I see, what I'm seeing, is that design thinking is being explored in different areas, and it's expanding. But it feels like it's only the case for those who are already aware of the tools and the the, the philosophy in the first place. But even in the world of design, not many people are considering design thinking for their own life. So even the book Designing Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans was written by two professors at the D School in Stanford. And of course, it utterly exploded. But I think the word of mouth travel has not really taken off in a way that I anticipated or I expected. And so I still think there's an element of stigma of sorts for the expression of design thinking. Like it sounds like niche and, and difficult. And given like the design industry is kind of elitist and it lacks diversity, could this be holding it back to expanding its uptake? What do you think about that, Lucy? <laughs> Those upper echelons are at it again. It can feel quite proprietary and elitist. And I know even when I look at networking or event opportunities that are specifically for design thinkers, they're always very tech or UX, UI or product design led. And I I remember going to one um, and I honestly felt like I did not belong there because no one in that room, no one else in that room was using design thinking in the way I do with my clients. And those kind of events, they all seem to be quite London centric too. So I travelled you know, quite a few hours to be there. Um, And I do feel, actually, I have to give a shout out to Ed Watson at this point. Um, E is for Ed is the episode in which you can find out more about Ed, Um, because his meetups are actually one of the only collective spaces I found that welcomes design thinkers who are working in any sector, design thinkers who don't work in design thinking, and people who are complete newbies to design thinking but want to discover more in a safe space. And I've actually got a few clients who regularly show up to his meetups now too, as it's somewhere that, you know, everyone feels as though they can explore whether it's newfound knowledge or more experience, and they can help kind of each other implement what they've learned in a low-risk and friendly community. But it makes me sad, as I say it out loud, not that Ed facilitates such an awesome meetup, but that I sort of, you know, I I make my living via design thinking and have several years of experience and insight to share. And yet I don't think I feel as though I'm welcomed or belong in the majority of design communities Mm. I've found. 
So, I mean, anyone listening, please email in, you know, please message me, tell me about any communities you found. But you work in that industry, Tracy, please tell me. I just haven't found the right community yet. Well, um, so like having worked shoulder to shoulder with designers for like nearly 20 years, I still find that there's an air of authority surrounding designer designers. And there's a lot of power associated with design as they define like design trends and they provide us with like what we need next, even though we didn't realize we needed it. And I think that as design thinking has a strong association with creativity and innovation, and most people, and this is a very sweeping statement, don't see themselves as creative. And at one point, you know, I didn't think I was either. And they feel intimidated by the possibility of having to be creative without any initial idea. And that this is something that people are reluctant to try. But I think that really using design thinking is about using specific tools and techniques, which really helps you see the patterns and the themes coming out of your own psyche. So what do you think about regular board's abilities and success to implement effective design thinking in business? Regular board, Mm -hmm. I feel qualified to answer this question (laughs) but regular listeners will know that my interest in design thinking was turbocharged after I saw a TEDx talk by Clara Gagaro Westaway and then when I spent some time on an enterprise growth program at Babson College out in the US so before then it was a a phrase that I'd kind of heard used you know mainly because I'm an avid reader and I love to learn and the business books that I'm drawn to tend to be more about sort of disrupting a center a sector and being a bit forward thinking more so than simply how to make money so design thinking was kind of always on the periphery of that discussion the apple boom was mid-blast i'm sure my age now aren't i um <laughs> ibm was leading you know on the world stage and i could see the techniques of design thinking being used in elite sports coaching to great effect i mean i'm not sure if they referred to them as design thinking but the toolkit was definitely being pinched and pilfered and various exercises were being used to maximum effect. Hmm. Excuse me. Um, so to answer your question, I kind of always feel as though I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to providing design thinking facilitation for business owners. Because you don't know what you don't know. New terminology and jargon always comes up against resistance. And we've always done it this way, is the mindset that will kill your business But trying something new, that's scary, that's time consuming and that's costly. So when you add that to the feeling that design thinking has been sort of held onto and purposely shrouded in some form of mystery and control by designers themselves, I understand that most regular boards probably don't ever try to implement it. Those who do definitely see the dividends pay off. Um, but maybe it needs a rebrand, you know, maybe we need to make full circle back to the designerly ways of thinking of the 70s for it to become more accessible to everyone. Um, it makes sense that something born of the design world is called design thinking. But for businesses, it's not about design as they understand design. And it's not just about thinking either. It's about creating better business models and taking action. Yeah. And like, so, I mean, like some of the trends that I think we're seeing more um, uptake of design thinking, like in Lucy's world and in mine, but that there are many schools of thought regarding introducing design thinking in businesses, especially small businesses. Um, And in terms of hot trends, um, we would be very amiss if we did not mention education. 
Um, so design thinking and education are not only something that Lucy and I are interested in exploring, but we have really had some really interesting conversations with some of our listeners about the p- power of teaching empathy to school uh, to school kids. And so hello, if you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, I've seen some great use cases um, within teaching and education at the moment. Yeah, and I think that, you know, some countries are better than this than others. Um, but there is a school of thought, pun completely intended, um, regarding how we choose to teach our children. So, like, do we teach them the facts or do we teach them how to get how to use curiosity and empathy effectively? Do we teach our children to get 100% on their tests or do we educate them on the power of learning from your mistakes or how to learn fast, learn forward? And these soft skills that they're commonly referred to, or power skills, as I'd actually prefer that we call them, mm. are going to be integral to the success of future entrepreneurs, future problem solvers, and future world leaders. We live in such a VUCA world right now, which, you know, the change is happening at record speed. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous. So children really need to learn how to be more resilient, how to think both creatively and critically, and how to understand frameworks such as design thinking, that will actually then enable them to solve the problems that we can't even contemplate yet. And then there's the inclusivity and accessibility of design thinking within educational environments, because it actually provides a more level playing field for kids, whether they're introvert, extrovert, neurotypical, neurodivergent. We all need problem solving skills. So even when we grow up, and I am hopeful I'm going to decide to do that one day, <laughs> introvert or extrovert, neurotypical or neurodivergent entrepreneurs, we can apply the skills learned via design thinking as well. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in the world of entrepreneurship, like many people who choose to start their own businesses do so because they struggle to align themselves first with the regular structure of educational institutions and then with the confinements and polite expectations of workplaces. So design thinking, design thinking gives our friends with neurodivergent minds an opportunity to work in ways that work for how their brains are wired and if we can structure their thinking while still at school it could give more children a better chance of flourishing unmasked in the real world and we explore this topic and discuss the neuro k program that flourish and limited provide for neurodivergent entrepreneurs more with their um, neurodiversity lead alison Woodwell. and we talk about that in n is for neurodiversity so please go back and give that a listen So what other opportunities do you think we could have in education or small businesses from design thinking, Lucy? I think we've just scratched the tip of the iceberg. And I also think I've just mixed up two whole metaphors. (laughs) I'm not sure. Um, The possibilities are endless. So at the moment, the design thinking process has pretty much been copied from the design realm and pasted into other spaces. It's not been tweaked or amended very much. It hasn't yet fully found its legs in business or in education. But it's, it's primed and it's ready to go actually through its own process to see quite how bloody amazing it can be when it's tailored specifically to the needs of those sectors. So, right, come on. We now know design thinking is not about the thinking. It's about the doing. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty certain that we've just decided on our next area of exploratory work. <laughs> so let's go get design doing. What are you all waiting for? You know, if you've one thing you've learned in this past 26 episodes, it's that you need to take action. So zeitgeist or no zeitgeist, I honestly believe design thinking will last the distance because an impactful framework, it's an impactful framework for good. So it has the power to grow with us. 
Mm, wonderful. And so like this is a little emotional because it's the last episode of season one. So we don't have a final line with regards to what you can tune into next. But please, as always, feel free to let us know what you'd like to see more of in season two. Or if you're interested in being a guest on our show to share your insights and new perspectives on our favorite topic of design thinking. So we'll sign off as we always do. Yeah, the season may be over, but we're still always open to hearing your thoughts and connecting. Please feel free to seek us out on LinkedIn. So you've got myself, Tracy Sharp, and my workshop facilitator, extraordinaire podcast partner, Lucy Parson. And if you've got any questions or queries, please feel free to drop an email to designthinkingaz at gmail.com. We are always happy to answer them and to signpost you towards any of the resources mentioned during our podcast. Till next season, please like, subscribe and review the podcast. We will be most, most grateful and we will catch you then. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.